Good morning. Happy New Year. I'm thankful for the opportunity to share from God's Word. Let me just give a, a brief preface. If you see me kind of hunching over or pushing my back in any way, that's because somehow yesterday morning I threw out my back taking a shower. I'm not quite sure, maybe the water was heavier this time than normal, uh, but somehow I got out of the shower yesterday morning and my back was killing me. Uh, thankful to a lot of people praying um, to the Lord that I'm feeling all right now. But Craig, if I yell chair at any point, that means I'm about to fall over. I need you to throw me a chair. Got it? Well, we have another uh, new year ahead of us. And I think um, around New Year's, we often spend a little extra time reflecting and looking back looking back at what God has done in the past and looking back at what matters. And I wonder what stands out as you look back on this last year and maybe even this last decade. To slow down and think, what mattered that happened this last year, this last decade? Big decisions that were made, life changes, Joys, pains, hopes, fears. When you pause, just do that right now. Pause, reflect, look back. This last year, 2019, what stands out? Yeah, what do you remember and what don't you? And not too long, it's going to be 2021, and then 2030. We'll have another decade to look back on. Many of us will. And then 2050, and then 2500, and then 2500 AR, after return, once Jesus has come back, and all of those in this of us in this room who know Jesus will be looking back on 2,500 years of being in his presence, of enjoying the blessing of being with him physically. And we'll look back and we'll look back on this little blip that was our life on earth. Be our before return. And what's going to matter? What's going to stand out and what won't? This is what I think. I think what's going to stand out is going to have to do with two kinds of things. First, the kind of thing that makes the most impact on eternity, right? The kind of things that we do and that we're a part of that affected the rest of eternity, by the grace of God, we'll look back and say, what a beautiful memory with you, Jesus. I got to be a part of you doing this thing in your story for your glory, and now I have forever to look back on it as a memory to cherish with you, the one I love more than anyone. And we'll look back on those memories because they will have made a difference forever, right? And I think the other thing, the other kind of thing that we'll look back on are the things that are unique to our time on earth. The unique privileges and gifts that God has given us this side of Christ's return 
that we will never get again. And I really think that there is one thing that rises to the top of both of those lists, of what will make the most impact for all of eternity and what is a unique privilege that we only get to enjoy. As far as we know, I mean, we, we don't know what God has planned, but as far as we can imagine, the only opportunity we'll get before Christ's return. And what is that? Isn't it being a part of God's mission to reach the lost, to change someone's eternal destiny? An opportunity that we won't have when Jesus comes back. I mean, we'll have everything when Jesus comes back. Everything we have to look back on and look forward to that often we think is so important. We'll have all of that. Of course we will. God won't hold anything back from us. If he gave his own son, he'll give us everything. But the one thing, or maybe there's a few other things, but one of the very few things that we only get to do now before Jesus comes back is help lead sinners to a Savior. Because there won't be any more sinners to lead to a Savior once Jesus comes back, not with us. So this is our one chance to be a part of God's mission. And does anything else matter more? So as we look ahead to what this year and what this decade could hold, let's look ahead to the opportunity to be used by God for his mission to reach the lost. Let's try at least. And I know I often get the wrong priorities too. I'm not saying I always focus on that perfectly. Of course not. But let's try. Let's say, God, we want this to be different. We want to do things that matter. Take a hold of this unique opportunity before it's too late. And let's pray. Let's say, God, here we are. Send us as a church and individually. Here we are. Send us. Let's pray. You think God's going to say no? Do we think if we say, God, send us, he's going to say, no, I'm not really into that. Are you kidding me? So let's pray. Let's pray missionally. Praying missionally. That's going to be the focus of our message and of our text this morning. We're going to be looking in a psalm that will present us or will model for us two missional prayers. But before I say more about that, let me say two words of background. One, I'm going to be using the term mission a lot this morning. And by that, I mean any activity with the goal of pointing someone who doesn't yet know Jesus to become a Christian, to have faith in the gospel. I don't just mean it's something overseas. We usually use the term missions with an S around here for that. I, I mean the broadest we can think of mission, any activity with the hope of leading a lost person to be found in Jesus. That's what I, that's what I will mean when I say the word mission or missional. And second, the psalm that we're going to be in this morning, let me say a brief word of background about the structure. Uh, the structure is called a chiasm. It's a fancy word for kind of a parallel structure that's, if you're familiar with Poetry, it's kind of like an A-B-A structure, or A-B-C-B-A, where the flow of thought is not like we're used to, top to bottom. The flow of thought is top and bottom to the middle, because the middle is where the climax of the, of the, the psalm is. And the, the author is going to put verses 1 and 2 and verses 6 and 7 in parallel, so we're going to address those first, and then we're going to move to verses 3 and 5, and finally verse 4 that has the climax of the passage. So that's, that might explain the way we're going to work through this psalm a little bit differently. And as we do, we're going to see two missional prayers that I believe God is going to be calling us into as a church to, to imitate the prayers of the psalmist. First, we're going to see a prayer 
along the lines of a missional strategy. We're going to see a certain prayer that God would do a certain thing so that he would accomplish his mission. It's a strategic mission prayer. And then secondly, we'll see a prayer along the lines of the goal or ultimate end of missions. We won't just pray a strategic prayer for mission, but we'll pray, what is mission all about? We want that. We want the ultimate goal. Those are the two kinds of missional prayers we are going to see in Psalm 67. So turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 67, and we'll look at these two missional prayers, and we'll hear the call of God today that this year and moving forward, let's be a church that prays missionally. Psalm 67. And rather than just reading it all straight, we're going to take it in little chunks, like I said, in a little bit of a unique order to follow the flow of thought. So the first missional prayer we're going to find is for a particular mission strategy. It's verses 1 and 2 and verses 6 and 7 both express like a two-part prayer. The first part is the specific thing they're praying for, and the second part is why they're praying for it, for the sake of mission. We're going to look at that second part, the why behind their prayers first, and then we'll move to verse 1 and um, verse 6 that that share what exactly they're praying for. Yeah, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through your word and move us by your Holy Spirit. So let's look at verse 2 to start. What is it that um, these Israelites and this psalmist is praying for? Verse 2, they're praying for the mission of God. They're praying that your way, O Yahweh, O God, may be known on earth. Your saving power among the nations. There, Israel's praying, we want all the nations around us who don't yet know God to know him, to know his way, to know what he's like, who he is, and how he expresses his character in the world. We want the world to know God's saving power so they too can come and be saved by his power and turn away from their sinful ways to the ways of God and live in relationship with God. That's the longing, the missional heart expressed in this psalm. We see the same thing expressed at the end of the psalm, the second half of verse 7. This is, this is the goal that they're praying for. Not the ultimate goal, we're going to talk about that later, but this is the heart of their prayer. Let all, the end of verse 7, let all the ends of the earth fear him. What does this author want? He wants everyone in the world to come to know how great God is so that they can stand in fearful awe and reverence for our God and turn to him. That's what matters to the psalmist here. Because this psalmist, we're going to meet him someday and we're going to look back on our life on earth together with him. And we'll look back on how God answered this prayer for the nation of Israel for us because that's what matters that's what matters to him, and let's make that what matters to us. But let's keep looking and see what is the specific strategy that the psalmist is praying for. What exactly are they asking will happen so that the nations will know who God is? We find that in verse 1, and then again in verse 6. Here's what they're praying for. May God be gracious to us. This is again Psalm 67, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, God, that your saving power may be known among all nations. 
That prayer might sound a little familiar, or phrases might sound a little familiar. May God be gracious, bless, make his face to shine. That's taken from uh, the, the blessing God commanded Aaron to give over Israel in Numbers chapter 6. I'll just read that. This probably sounds familiar to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is a blessing that Israel found in God's word and they're praying that for themselves. They're praying for blessing. Their strategy for reaching the world is to ask God to bless them. Let's see that again in verse 6. Again, verse 6 and 7 parallels verse 1 and 2. This is expressed more in a, a, a sense of confidence that God will bless them. The earth has yielded its fruit, or yielded its increase. God already has blessed us, is blessing us. Therefore, God, our God, shall bless us. As he's blessed us in the past, and as we're praying for, God shall bless us. That's their strategy. They're like, we want to reach the world for the name of God, so God bless us. And that'll make it happen. But how is that supposed to work for them? How is them receiving the blessing of God supposed to lead other people to come to know Yahweh, their God? Well, first we got to think, what specific blessings are they, God's old covenant people, praying for? I think it's pretty safe to assume that the main thing in their minds when they're praying for blessing has to do with things like fruitful crops, like mentioned in verse 6. Things like protection, Things like victory over their enemies, healthy babies, large families, overall prosperous life. The earthly blessing that God promised them, they would have in their unique covenant. In Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, God promised them, if you obey me, I will bless you in all of these tangible, physical, earthly ways. And then what would be the result of that? All the nations around them would say, whoa, Whoa, what's up with Israel? Dang, none of their babies die. That never happens. Their crops are so stinking fruitful. How is that happening? They beat everybody in war and they have a tiny army. What the heck is going on? They must have a great, powerful, glorious, and loving God. I want that God. So when Israel would teach the world the ways of God, the world would want to hear because they see you have something that we want and we know you're not making it up. There is a God out there who's given it to you. We want to look into that. The earthly blessing of God for the people of Israel was meant to lead to the nations recognizing that God is great and coming to be drawn to learn about God to enter into covenant relationship themselves. I bet a lot of us are praying for blessings this coming year, but are we praying for blessing for the sake of mission? And what blessings are we praying for? See, for Israel, they had a unique covenant with God where God promised earthly blessing. Our covenant, that's not included in the promise. Take that back. That is included in the promise, but not be our not before the return of Christ. Not necessarily. We might get all sorts of earthly blessings. We might not. God's kind. But that's not what God says you should focus on. 
Because is that really going to win the world? If I have a nice job and a nice family and some nice vacations, is the world going to say, wow, your God is incredible? Everyone else has that too. Is that what's going to make us stand out? What is going to make us stand out? What kind of blessing would God have us pray for to lead those who don't yet know Jesus to want to know him? Let me give two examples of how this actually can work out to start answering that question. Debbie and Hero both grew up in a different religion other than Christianity. After they got married and had their first kid, they started going back to the temple. Debbie and Hero are some family friends of mine. But something was just missing. Even though Hero's family was there, the community he grew up with was there, they still realized there's something missing here. One day, Hero said, just said straight out to Debbie, something's missing. And Debbie said, you're right. Maybe we should start looking elsewhere. And you see, they had some Christian friends who were invested in their life. And these friends invited them to come to a Christmas service. And do you know the reason why they said yes? After saying no a few times before, you know why they said yes? Because they saw in them the blessing of God, the real internal fruit of the Holy Spirit blessing of God. Zebby told me that they saw the joy and the peace and the hope that these Christian friends of theirs had. Debbie didn't have peace. She had a successful career, a great family, all of the dreams she was hoping for, but it wasn't giving her peace. But these Christian friends, they had it. These Christian friends had hope. Even in their suffering, they had a resilient hope. And Debbie and Hira wanted that. So they went with them to church. They got invested in their church community. They surrounded themselves by the church family and they kept seeing this church family has peace. They have contentment. We don't have that. So they were drawn in to keep seeking God, seeking his word, and through his word came to know Jesus. Their eternal destinies are changed. They are our brothers and sisters now who we're going to hang out with forever. Are you kidding me? What matters more than that? Isn't that incredible? And how did that happen? What was God's strategy to bring them to be interested, to want to seek the word of God so that they would come and be saved? It was the blessing of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians that they knew. What if we said, Forget focusing on all these other blessings that the world has anyway. Let's focus on the blessings of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life that is evident that no one else has, not in the fullest sense because it only comes from Jesus. And when they come to their low points, they will realize we want what they have. But the church family, that's only going to happen if, if two things happen. One, if we're in the middle of unbelievers. See, God placed Israel right in the middle of the ancient world. Dangerous ocean on the left, dry desert on the right, little Israel, key trade route from everything up north and everything down south. Anyone wanted to trade from the north to the south, they're going through Israel because Israel was right in the middle of the ancient world. Why? So that everyone could see the blessing. But are we placing ourselves right in the middle? 
The, people who don't, the lives of people who don't yet know Jesus? Because how are they going to see the blessing of knowing Jesus if they don't see us? How are we going to be the light of the world if there's a basket on our head? And if we are spending time with them, how in the world are they going to see the joy of knowing Jesus if we don't show it? So let's beg God, give it to us. For the sake of your mission, bless us. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, bless us. Let me share another story. One of my dear friends, Jordan, led one of his good friends, Patrick, to Jesus. And I was asking Patrick the other day, what was it about Jordan that made you interested to want to hear what, what he had to say about his God. And he said two things. He said the freedom that Jordan had just stood out to me. He said he, he, he reflected, this was a few years ago, he was reflecting on his life. Jordan and Aiden are, are both professional, or sorry, Jordan and Patrick, Aiden's another guy who led to Christ. Jordan and Patrick are both professional dancers. They had worked on a dance project together super intensely for a period of months. And, and Patrick saw something when he was spending that much time with Jordan that made him think, I've I, got to look into this. He saw freedom in Jordan. He thought to himself, I'm an atheist. I don't think there's anything out there that I can't measure, but it's not giving me freedom. And I see this guy, Jordan, who lives so free from his fears, who lives so free just to be himself because he knows he's loved and secure in Christ. And that made him want to look into it. And he heard Jordan sharing testimonies of the way God was working in his life and working through him to bless people in his daily life. Jordan would go out with his Christian friends when they were living together for a short period of time or, or staying together. Jordan would go out with his Christian friends, pray for healing, see people physically healed, tell people that Jesus loves them, see them break down in tears because they were ministering in the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he'd come back and tell these stories to uh, Patrick and Patrick would be like, what? All you said was Jesus loves you and this person broke down in tears and encountered God? What? He was intrigued. So then, when Jordan one day casually said to Patrick, hey Patrick, can I share with you what I believe about God? Patrick was already interested. I'm not saying it has to go in that order, but I'm saying that's, what, that's what part of what made, God, or made Patrick want to listen. So when Jordan shared the gospel thoroughly for 15 minutes with him, Patrick didn't understand everything that first time, but that became a decisive moment for him. And today, Patrick's our brother. We'll be with him forever. We'll look back on this life with him forever in the presence of God. Patrick is now dear, close, spiritual friends with Jordan and Jordan's brother-in-law. Jordan married him off to his sister. Side bonus, I guess. <laughs> and that all happened because Jordan was experiencing the blessing of knowing Jesus. And he was vocal about it. But let's just be really clear. Patrick didn't come to know Jesus just by seeing the blessing. It made him want to know about Jesus, but he came to know about Jesus through Patrick sharing the gospel with him. So let's just remember, yes, let's pray for the blessing of the Holy Spirit, but that is meant to reinforce and strengthen our sharing of the gospel, which must happen. But how are they going to want? I mean, God can do anything, but one of the main ways people are going to want the gospel is if they see the fruit of it in our life. Deep, abiding joy, peace even when life is chaotic, hope even in pain. 
So let's pray the missional prayer. If God bless me, not just for my own sake, but for the sake of the world coming to know you. So Psalm 67 is calling us to pray the missional, the strategic missional prayer. God bless me, bless us, so that others will come to know you. That's the first prayer we see in Psalm 67. But it's not the only one. Psalm 67 isn't content just to tell us the strategy or one strategy for pointing someone to Jesus, but it also, at the heart of the text, wants to tell us the ultimate goal, the final chief end of pointing someone to Jesus. That's why it's put right at the heart of this chiastic or parallel structure. Let's see what is the final goal that God longs for most, or that is the ultimate expression of someone coming to know who God is and to fear God. We'll see that in verse three, four, and five. We're gonna take verse three and five first together. They say the same thing. And then we're gonna look at verse four in a second, the very heart of it all. Why do they want the nations to come to know God's saving power? So that verse three, I think, here's the reason. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. It's not enough to say it once. He says it again, verse five. Let the peoples praise you. May everyone come and worship you, God. That's why I want people to come to know you, so that they can come and enter into worship. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. That Redemption Hill Church family is the ultimate goal of our mission. It isn't only salvation. Yes, salvation is so important, and yes, it is so important that we pray for the salvation of those we love and those we know who don't yet know Jesus. But it doesn't stop there, because it's not all about them. It's all about God. It's not just about them escaping from wrath. It's about God being honored for having saved them and having shown his goodness to them, right? Isn't that what it's all about? The praise and worship of God? Isn't that why Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4, when he describes the mission of God, isn't that why he says this to the woman? But the hour is coming and is now here. Here's the climax of God's mission right now. Jesus coming. Here's what it's all about. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For here's the mission of God. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is seeking his own worship. That's what his mission is. Salvation is an essential part of it, but it's not all of it. We get saved from so that we can be with God forever, so that we can praise him and give him the glory and the honor that he deserves. So that's why Psalm 67, when it's praying about mission, doesn't just, drop with a, doesn't just stop with a strategic prayer, but it ends with a prayer about the ultimate goal of reaching the world, the honor of God. And if that's what matters most in the world, then isn't it an awful thing that people aren't worshiping? I think that's a lot of what's going on in Matthew 22, when Jesus tells the parable of a wedding feast. Jesus tells a parable. I'll just summarize it. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a king who threw a banquet or a wedding party for his son. So then he sent out his servants to go invite everyone. 
The kingdom of heaven is like God throwing a party for Jesus, and he wants everyone to be there, so he sends us, go invite him to the party. We're celebrating Jesus forever. Don't you want to come? And you know what the people say? No, I don't want to come. It's not worth it to me, and I don't really think it matters that much to go celebrate your son, king, so I'm going to do my own thing. And isn't that why Luke, the, Luke's version of the parable says in Luke 14, the king was angry? Because that is not okay for the king to throw a party for his son who deserves the respect of everyone in the kingdom. And they're like, no, nah, we're good. Your son can enjoy his own wedding by himself. I don't want to be there. That's why the king is mad because that's a disrespect and a disgrace to his son who he loves so, so much. It is so important that we pray for mission this year and strive for mission this year because it's not just about lost people, but it's about the fact that they are disgracing our God. And I don't mean this to like make us hate people. Of course we shouldn't hate people, but we should still feel angry and we should still want and long for the worship of God that he deserves Because mission isn't all about us, it's all about God. If the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, then that has to play out in the way that we approach mission. So let's pray for the worship of the world. Let's pray, let's beg God, let all the peoples praise you, let the people at my workplace praise you, let the people in my neighborhood praise you, let my friends who I haven't seen in a while but who walked away from Jesus, may they come back to Jesus and praise you. Because the mission is about you. The ultimate goal of mission is about the praise and worship of God. But it gets even better. Because it doesn't just stop there. The ultimate goal is the worship of God. But it also involves the best thing that any human being could ever experience. It also involves our joy, the joy that every human being, the gladness that every human being is longing for. That is an essential, central component of their worship. So when we pray for the worship of the nations, we're also praying for the joy of the nations. Let's see that in the text. The climax of the whole structure, A, B, C, bam, or A, B, C, D, depending how you count it. Verse four, this is what it's all about. He restates what it means for the nations to praise Verse three again, I'll just start there. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Say that in different words. All right, here it is. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Joy in what? Joy for what reason? Because of how good God is. That's what comes next. For you, God, judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Do you see what he's saying here? Do you see what this prayer is? This is a prayer for the ultimate goal of mission, which is the praise of God, which involves the joy of people who love God. So this psalm is praying, bless us so that other people want to come to know you so that they praise you because of how much joy they find in you. Not because they're supposed to, not because God's an old man who's mad and just says, praise me, because God wants to show them the joy of knowing him. Because joy is essential in praise. God doesn't want our empty praise. That's why Jesus says, I think it's Jesus. I know somewhere in scripture, the word says, 
You praise me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. I don't want that. I want you to praise, praise me joyfully. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Isn't that why, in, or that's probably part of why, in John 4, like we looked at a second ago, it said true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's not just about the truth we declare, it's about the spirit of joy that we have because we love the truth that we're declaring. So when we bring the gospel to people and when we pray missionally, we are seeking not only the glory of God, the thing that matters most in the universe, but we're also seeking the joy of people because nothing will satisfy them more than to behold the glory of God and praise that glory and praise that God forever. Am I right? So to pray missionally is to, is to express the greatest command and the second greatest command. It's to express love for God by praying, God, may you get what you want most and you deserve most, your glory. And may people get what they long for most, the only thing that will satisfy them, their joy in God himself. Isn't that a worthy cause? Isn't that a worthy cause to pray for? Isn't that something that we will care to look back on? In 2500 AR, when we're with Jesus forever, won't that matter so much more than most of the things we're probably praying for this new year? To be a part of God's mission, for his glory, for our joy. John Piper summarizes most of what we said so far, very articulately here, in a book named after verse four. The book's called Let the Nations Be Glad. He says this, mission is the ultimate goal of the church. Sorry, missed an important word. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. What is it? Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. Because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of mission is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. Isn't that a worthy thing to pray for this coming year? So let's pray. And let's pray for what matters most, for what we're going to look back on forever. Let's pray missionally, praying that God would bless us so that other people would see the blessing of knowing Jesus, the true blessing, the joy, the peace, the hope, not just the stuff and the comfort, the true deep blessing of knowing Jesus and want to be drawn in to come hear the gospel we have to share or so that when we go to them and share the gospel with them, they see it validated in the joy and the hope and the peace, the freedom, the testimonies that we have. So let's beg God, bless me, not just for my own sake, but so that I will be a blessing by leading other people to Jesus. And let's not forget that the ultimate goal is not just their salvation, but their joyful worship. So let's pray for the goal of mission, for the worship of the world. I'll end by just inviting you guys to two specific ways you could take a step toward, toward that if you want, toward mission. One way 
uh, is this Tuesday, as Drew mentioned, I'm sure, we have Heart Cry, which is a time to come together as a church to pray. Uncle Ken or Ken Birding and I are going to be leading it together to focus on praying missionally, on praying these two specific prayers from Psalm 67. So we would love for you to come join if you want to start off the new year by praying for what matters most. One way you can do that, you don't have to, but one way you can do that is come on Tuesday to Heart Cry. The details are in your bulletin. The other thing I want to invite you guys to is a class that I'll be teaching next Sunday after church from 1230 to 3 in the hub, far corner, called Living on Mission. So that as we are praying for mission, we're also equipping ourselves to be a part of the mission. So we're not just saying, God send us, but I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to let you do all the work. Then we say, God send us, and now I want to take one step toward being used. As I'm begging God to give me the joy and the hope and the peace and the freedom of Jesus, then I'm also getting ready to share the gospel with them so that those two can come together because they're not going to come to know Jesus just by seeing the light of the world. They need to hear the words of God. So I would love for you guys to come to Living on Mission, the class I'll be teaching. We'll be talking about three things about the mission of God and his commitment and his ability to fulfill it, even when we feel like we don't know what we're doing. He can fulfill it. We'll be talking specifically about what it looks like to share the gospel, to share that message that can change someone's life for their eternity. And we'll be, I'll be sharing some specific opportunities, some ways people at our church are engaged in mission so that you can join in in some sort of formalized mission or you can meet up with someone who would, who would love to walk along with you and pray with you and support you in that journey. So we'd love to see you there. But regardless, let's just beg the Lord right now that he would use us for the sake of his mission. And we'll close with some more worship and communion. Father, we, oh Lord, if we're honest with you, there are things that matter a lot more to us than your mission. It's true in my life. So we need you to change that, God. Yeah, we beg you to change that. So that the cry of our heart would be the worship of the peoples, of our neighbors, of our friends who don't know you. And Lord, help us to give ourselves, to devote ourselves to prayer like Colossians 4.2 tells us to do. And devote ourselves not just to prayers for our own sake, but for your sake, for your sake of your mission. Help us. Fill us with joy, with peace, with hope even in suffering this year, so that other people would come to know you, God. Yeah, let all the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you are worthy of it, God. Yeah, in Jesus' name, amen.